0: This week, uh, um, Cindy Tharp and her class uh, had a a, a presentation of the Last Supper, and it was an awesome presentation. Every uh, young person that came through and stuff, uh, uh, the gentleman that did it had memorized their lines and stuff, and they talked about who they were as a... As a disciple, and who they were playing in the role of, and things like that, and then, and then at the end, Josh, who was playing Jesus, presented uh, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we uh, we shared this uh, this cross with you last week with the candle in it, and uh, it's our desire that through the ministries of this church and the school and the daycare, that uh, that someone come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior every week, and that's exactly what happened at the close of that presentation, and so, praise the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 1 through, uh, I'm actually going to go through verse 10, and later I'll finish off the chapter, but at this point, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. I know you've been standing. We're going to do some calisthenics this morning. Now the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw that the stone had already been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping in and looking, he saw that the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. So Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, then also entered and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their homes. Father, I thank you for this very, very important day in the year of the church calendar and father, I I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us in such a way that we would understand in a greater way than any day before the reality of the resurrection and what it does for us. Father, I thank you today. I praise you for who you are. We lift you up. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Arguably, Easter is the most important day in the church calendar each year. Uh, it is the day not only uh, we recognize Christmas is important and 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 the birth of Christ, of course, being important and all that came about there, but the but the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are vital. You see, if the resurrection is not true, then Jesus Christ was a liar, and the rest of us really are are just fooled. Uh, but I, I want to say to you today that I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. This last, uh, matter of fact, this morning I heard uh, uh, an illustration uh, on the radio and the illustration went something like this. It said that a, that a, a person, a lady, had actually written into a, to it a, a Christian uh, newspaper and said, said, hey, what do I do with my pastor? Because this last week he preached this message that Jesus Christ didn't die on the cross, but that He actually kind of fainted, and then they resuscitated Him in the tomb, and, uh, and that He went on to live, and that's how it appeared that He was resurrected. And the editor of the paper wrote back and said, well, what I think you ought to do is I, you ought to get the congregation together, you ought to strip your pastor down, you ought to tear out his beard, spit in his face, put a crown of thorns on his head, Lash him in his back with a a, a cat of nine tails 39 times, rip open his body, hang him on a cross for six hours in the sun, then take him down and put him in a cold, dark cave and see what he says after that. Uh, Yeah, I know, you don't know whether to laugh or cry at that one, but... um, but the reality is that the scripture has been proven over and over and over again. And as a matter of fact, if the, if the scripture isn't true, then we all might as well be out golfing. And I don't even like to golf. It is the crux of the gospel that Jesus Christ rose again. It is the reality that we have seen in life after life after life that has been redeemed and set free from bondage, from, from depravity, from, from perversion, from all kinds of different things. Amen, brother, for drugs, alcohol, and all kinds of things that we have seen God do mighty and powerful miracles in the lives of people whose lives have been resurrected from the death of sin and set free. And the reality is that the, that the resurrection is something that is alive today. There is an actual uh, philosophy that is being pushed today, and unfortunately, actually in some churches. It's called the swoon theory, and it's the, the teaching that Jesus just kind of fainted. He even had some drugs that helped him kind of act like he was dead, even more so. And then they resuscitated him in the tomb. And some even believe they go so far as to dramatize it out. As some believe that he actually died there in the tomb, and then his body uh, was done away with. The disciples took it off and got rid of it, and things like that. And then they began to propagate the lie. Others believe that he actually resurrected for a while, and then and then went off, and and uh, and that he lived in obscurity after some time and things. But. But the reality is today that Jesus Christ is risen. The uh, one, one of the things that Hank Hanegraaff uh, shares is called the feet of Jesus, and that's the feet, F-E-A-T, the feet of Jesus, not the feet, not his ten and a halves, but his feet, the feet, F-E-A-T. And the first is the fatal torment, the fatal torment that Jesus Christ went through. Uh, it's evident, it's 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 documented not only in the scriptures very clearly, but also in the in in secular history that there was a man named Jesus that he was considered a rabbi that he had a great following and and things and that's very very concrete. But also that he died that he died and that he died at the hands of the Romans and the Jewish leaders and that he died on a cross. The scripture tells us that Jesus when he was uh, Uh, betrayed in the garden that he was arrested and throughout the night he went into several different courts back and forth from the Jewish leaders to the Roman leaders and they were false courts they were illegal courts that were taking place in the middle of the night uh, that were completely illegal and there were people that were set up with falsified testimonies to testify against Jesus the Christ and yet he stood there and never really said much of anything and nothing at all in his own defense finally pilate upset with the whole situation and tired of the jews and 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 f- afraid of caesar finally said okay i'll crucify him and in the process he said have him flogged now, having, one flogged, having someone flogged in that day meant that you would beat them forty times with a whip of nine tails, and on the end of each strap of nine leather pieces that were attached to a handle would be pieces of glass or fragments of bone, and and they would whip the person with this uh, lashes. And when they would rip, they would when they would, when they, they would whip them, it would grab a hold of their flesh, and then they would tear it out, and it would open up the the skin and the flesh of the person, oftentimes being able to see internally into the cavity of the person. They would generally do it only 39 times because they were afraid of going one time over in the zeal of the beating and the, and the depravity and the, and the raucous of their beatings that they would give the prisoners. The group that went to Israel this last year uh, was able to go into the dungeon of Pilate and down there in the dungeon, carved in the, in the stone of the floor, probably where Jesus himself was, was first beginning to be beaten is a game that is etched and carved into the stone and, and, and they would roll their dice on that stone and wherever it landed they would kind of move like a Candyland piece or a Monopoly piece and they would move it around and where it would land it, it would tell them what to do and some was to slice with a, with a dagger or a sword their, their flesh and some was to pull out a beard and other places it was to spit in their face or to do different things. And the Scripture recognizes so many of those things that took place, not only the flogging, but also the pulling of the beard and the spitting in his face and the, and the awful things that were done to Jesus the Christ as he sat there defenseless. Finally, after they have uh, ripped his body open with a cat of nine tails, they place a crown of thorns upon his head, and, and it wasn't anything they did delicately. And from that, he began to bleed also from his head. And so now his cavity of his body is opened up and his head is bleeding and, and he is in excruciating pain. A matter of fact, the word excruciating comes from the word crucifixion, which means of the cross. They had to find a term to explain the torture of the crucifixion itself and so they came up with excruciating and they pressed down the crown of thorns upon his head and then they placed this beam over the robe on his back and they had him climb up this hill called Golgotha. Now it's quite a ways outside of Jerusalem and and the Via Della Rosa it's called in the, the way of the cross and as he's going there it, the, the weight of the cross, the suffering that's been going on, the beating that has happened, all of this has taken place and at one point he even collapses and someone else comes and, and the, and the Romans grab a guy out of the crowd and they have him carry the cross the rest of the way. As Jesus, uh, gets up to the place of Golgotha for the first time ever as the beam is dropped, the beam is placed and tied, lashed to the, to the vertical beam of the cross and and it's laying on the ground. And Jesus, for the first time ever, without a, without a fight, without a struggle, but willingly laid down His life on the cross. Normally, they would have to stretch someone's arms from side to side. And they may have done that to Jesus, but it wasn't because He was struggling. One of the things they would try to do would be to dislocate their shoulders as they would nail them to the cross so that it weakened them even more. And so they they, they would pull Him out and then they would nail through his hand to the cross. And then he would kind of curl up his legs a little bit and do the same to his feet and nail through the top of his feet into the cross itself. And it was in such a way that it was extremely painful to hang loose or to even try to tighten up Then what they would do is after they had got him on that cross, they would lift it up and they would drop it with a thud down into the hole in which the cross was to stand. When that would happen, his back would reopen again. It would be fresh with slivers and the pain of what truly was an old rugged cross. Jesus hung there for hours. Several different things took place over that time. And one of the things was that the that the the guards noticed that the quality of his garment was a fine quality and it was one piece without a hem and so they wanted it to themselves and so instead of, of dividing it up, the spoils amongst themselves, they actually threw dice and gambled for it, which was actually prophesied in the Old Testament hundreds of years before as Jesus hung on that cross every time that he needed to take a breath he would literally have to pull himself up because he was he was being asphyxiated by the weight of his own body and he would have to pull himself up and every time he did the back of his his back would be reopened again and pain would be there again and the, the realization of this whole situation and at one point he looked up and he cared for his physical mother there and he And he said to one of the other disciples, listen, take care of my mother. At another place when he hears the jeers and stuff from the Romans, and maybe even during the gambling, he looks down upon them and probably everyone else and says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. They don't have a clue what they're doing. Father forgive them that's that's the prayer that he that he offers up while he's stretched out there on that cross Now listen to me I believe wholeheartedly that the that the whole process physically was excruciating that it was awful that it was painful that it was that it would have killed most men in a few moments, let alone this whole time. Oftentimes, even the scourging itself was enough to kill a man. But I really believe what cost him the greatest pain was that time and time and time again, he had defeated the enemy. He had defeated the devil on so many different levels. Time and time again, he was flawless in the way that he lived. He was he was sinless. He had compassion for people when people hated him. He He cared about people. He loved people. Even the down and out and the worst of the worst in society, Jesus had compassion on. Kneeling in the dust with them and lifting them up. Embracing the leper. Time and time and time again, Jesus shows his grace and his love for mankind. And yet now, it's kind of like he just lowers his hands. Of course, not on the cross, but in his, just is there defenseless. Although the scriptures tell us he could have called thousands and tens of thousands of angels to come and rescue him, he chooses not to and instead just remains defenseless. And in that time, You've got to know that all of the elements in the heavenly realms, and I don't mean the good elements. I want you to understand when I say heavenly realms, it's it's all of the spiritual stuff that's around us. From here to the heavens. You know, when I was a little kid, I would draw a little green, teachers say, draw a picture of your family or whatever, and you'd draw a green line across the bottom of the paper, and then you'd draw some stick people that, and maybe the dog or whatever, and, and you'd do that, and then you'd draw a blue line across the sky and stuff, and, and there'd be just this kind of a... Our paper was that real kind of cheap yellow construction kind of junk that wasn't supposed to be yellow, you know. but So there'd be kind of be that yellow background. And for the longest time, you kind of thought the sky was up here and the grass was down here, and you never paid attention to what was in the middle. And I remember the first time an art teacher or whatever said, Hey, pay attention, look. Outside The sky goes all the way to the grass. That's the same thing with the heavenly realms. The heavenly realms are all around us, and there are evil influences, and there are, there are godly influences. There are angels that protect us, and I don't want to get into all of that, but I, what I want you to hear that that in the heavenly realms all around Christ, while He hangs on the cross is booing and hissing and, and glee and victory in their minds because they genuinely believe that they are winning over the Son of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 it says in verse I believe 21, that he who knew no sin became sin for us." Wow. You know what I think was the most painful thing about the crucifixion? Was not the beating. It was not the beard being pulled out. It wasn't the nails through his hands or, oh, the nails through his feet. It wasn't every time he had to breathe that he drug his back across that old rugged cross. That wasn't it at all. I believe that the most painful thing that he experienced was that moment on the cross when he who knew no sin became sin for us it was then that for the first time ever he knew separation from the father in all of eternity in the past and for that moment for that time for those next three days he experienced the hell of being the sin being turned in to my sin and to your sin and to Adam's sin and to everyone else's sin. And he became sin. That had to be the time. And it was then that he screams out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of course, he knows it's just a cry. He knows exactly why. It's because he's taken on this torment of our sin. I, I want you to try to remember the time that you might regret the most in your life. The moment in your life that, that you regret the very most. The, the, some sin, some situation, some some way you hurt somebody else or whatever. And if there was ever a day that you could relive over and over again and, and, and do it differently, it'd be that day. I, I want you to remember that regret. And, and if you think about that just a minute, but then multiply that by the billions of people that have ever lived. And that's what Jesus was experiencing on the cross. The scripture says that not long after that, the sky grew dark and he declared, it is finished Amen? It is finished. Wow. You know what that means? (laughs) That means you don't have to work at your salvation. You know what that means? That means you are valuable and Jesus Christ died for you and has paid the price that you could not pay. Amen? Long after that, the Jews really wanted the bodies of these dead men off the cross because it was about to become the Sabbath as soon as the sun set. And So they began to ask that the bodies be taken down. And so one of the soldiers went by and, and he began to break the legs of one of them. And then he went to the one in the center, which was Jesus. And he realized he was already dead. So instead of breaking his legs... He thrusts a spear up into the cavity, up through his rib cage, and up into the pericardium. And there in the pericardium, there is a mixture of water, and, and what flowed out of that wound was a, was a mixture of water and blood. A sure sign that Jesus was dead. He went on to the next person and broke his legs, and in a little while they died. And during that time, Joseph of Arimathea went and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down, and he took it to his own tomb. Now, from the description of the tomb and the garden where Jesus was buried, I really believe that the place where we visited this last year is the place as well. It's the place known from the Protestants recognize it as the as the garden tomb and it's a beautiful garden. It's explained to be a a wealthy garden a garden of a wealthy man with a large cistern and a tomb that is carved into the side and that's exactly what this is. It's a beautiful place and and as we went there and stuff and we walked inside there was this there was this sign inside that said He is risen. He is risen. The second part of the feet, there's the fatal torment, but the second part is the empty tomb, the empty tomb itself. You know, nobody argues about the fact that the tomb was empty. If you read more of the Gospels, you recognize that the disciples were declaring and preaching, and, and Mary Magdalene and the ladies that had gone to prepare the body that early Sunday morning, they were very clear that the tomb was empty. The guards of the Romans also go to the to the officials. They go to the high priest first and they're actually afraid, and they go to him and they and they say, Listen, uh, that tomb is empty. That you know, we and even though it was sealed by a Roman seal, and even though we were there on guard, somehow we fell asleep or whatever happened, but it is empty. And the high priest says, Okay, well, since it's empty, this is the story you're going to tell. You're going to say that the disciples of Jesus came and they overpowered you and they took the body. You see, nobody is saying that the tomb is still there. You can go to the tomb of David. You can go to the tomb of some of Solomon's wives. You can go to the tomb of Muhammad. You can go to several different tombs of people that thought they were great leaders, but the tomb of Jesus is empty. Amen? Amen. Nobody debates that. So there's the fatal torment, then there's the empty tomb. After that there are appearances f e a there are the appearances the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection i, I like this passage in 1st corinthians chapter 15 do we have that 1st corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 through 8 Thank you. Verse three, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. And these these are powerful words that explain about how first Mary and the ladies, and then Peter, and then some of the, other, the twelve, and then all the way up to the group of 500, and, and then finally to the Apostle Paul himself, who, who Jesus appeared to him, as he says, abnormally. But what I want you to hear is in the swoon theory, the theory that Jesus just fainted and then kind of was resuscitated and and did, either was died right there after being resuscitated or was or lived for a little while and then went off into obscurity, whatever the theory is out there of those that are that are huh, theologians but not really bible scholars, whatever that theory said what 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 they would would say was that uh, that what happened was 100, 200 years after Jesus' death, then a bunch of Christians got together and rewrote the Bible to make it sound really awesome. And so they, they, they try to say that the Bible has been rewritten, but you see the problem with that is that this was written just three years after Jesus' death. The Apostle Paul writes this when there are way too many people alive that were there when there were way too many people around that, that saw what happened, that saw what took place. And so when the apostle writes this about the 12, about Mary Magdalene, about Mary the mother, about, about the apostles, about the 500, about the 120, when he writes all of this, when he's sharing all of this, there's too many people out there that could say, no, 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 that never happened. Do you get it? So there's the feet. There's the, the fatal torment. There's the empty tomb. There are the appearances. And I'm going to look at one as I close, but there are the appearances. But then finally, there's the transformations. The transformations. I don't know. Have you ever been in a conspiracy? Have you ever been involved in a conspiracy? I... I, I uh, Friends of ours had this uh, 80 acres out in the country, and just off of their property was this, uh, was this wooden barn. And the farmer would stack that thing with hay. He'd stack it, the whole first floor with hay, and then he would stack the loft with hay, and he would stack it literally as full as you could get it. And there was one place where the loft didn't have, uh, uh, didn't cover the, the stall below. And we would go in there sometimes and play and things, and we would take our BB guns, and we, would, and, uh, and we would break bales open. I'm sorry, sir, I probably should make restitution of that farmer. That would have been 40 years ago. But uh, We'd break bales and drop them down into that stall, and then we'd do flips down into the stall and stuff into all that hay. Well, one day we were down there with our BB guns, and we started playing war. And it's not smart to play with BB guns if you're shooting at each other. <laughs> My little brother would stick his head up, and I'd be looking over the top. At one point, I, he stuck his head up, and I shot. And I hit him right here. He still has the scar. Now, as soon as I hit him, he started the most awful wail you've ever heard. Screaming and crying, and I, oh my. And I thought I'd killed him. I scurried across the top of the bales of hay and stuff and got to the rafter up above, and I had this little hunting knife I'd carry around, and I started putting holes in the top of the rafter up there. You okay? Yeah. No, no, you okay? (laughs) You okay? I said, what we're going to tell him is that we put, that it ricocheted. That's what happened. It ricocheted. <laughs> it took about a mile to get home and stuff, and he's still crying and wailing all the way, and he's got this indention in his head that's there 40 years later. And I tried my best to tell the ricochet story. <laughs> But that conspiracy pretty well fell flat. <laughs> Do you remember Peter before Jesus died? Do you remember him between the time that between the time that Jesus is arrested and he's he's kind of in the outskirts watching over can see Jesus there's a crowd of people he's trying to be quiet he's at a fire and all of a sudden this little girl a servant girl walks up to him and says you know you kind of dress like that Jesus guy and he says I don't know him just to a little girl a little bit later, that little girl comes back, and that little girl, again, now she's heard his voice, and she said, you know, not only do you kind of look and dress the way he does and stuff, but you have his accent. You're one of his friends, aren't you? Oh, I don't know him. I, I know. I, and it just gets worse. A third time she comes back, and Jesus had prophesied that in, he would deny Peter would deny Jesus three times, and he comes back, she comes back a third time and she says, "I know you are." And this time he swears, "I never knew him." And the rooster crows. We're talking about just a little teenage servant girl. But do you know what happens after the resurrection? <laughs> there is something undeniable. You see, he was dead. I, he was dead, dead. There, there was an a pulse. Blood and water had flown from the cavity of his chest. His body was opened up. I, there was no breath. He was dead. seen him and Jesus comes to Peter and has a special breakfast with him and and says Peter do you love me feed my sheep Peter do you love me feed my sheep Peter do you love me You know, the rest of the disciples, they were all hiding and cowering and afraid and and didn't want to be seen and things like that. And they were hiding in the shadows and they wanted to be loyal to Jesus, but he was dead, he was dead, he was dead. And what are they going to do to me next? And then came the resurrection. You see, they could never get away from the resurrection. The reality that they had embraced Him, that they had eaten with Him, that they had talked with Him, that they had walked with Him, that they'd been with Him with a period of time. And then when Pentecost comes and the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and resides inside of those that are believers of the Christ and believers of the resurrection, they are changed forever. And time and time again, each of the disciples are Are arrested, they're persecuted, they're beaten. And why? Because of the resurrection. If they would just deny the resurrection, if they would just say that it didn't happen, that it was a lie, then they'd be set free. They'd even be maybe set up. Maybe the Jews, the wealthy Jews and the Romans that wanted to see this whole Jesus thing go away would have set them up quite nicely. But instead, every one of them continues to insist and insist until they turn the the world upside down for Jesus Christ. And every one of them dies a martyr's death. Peter is hung upside down on a cross because he said he wasn't worthy to be hung right side up. James, the brother of Jesus who said that his brother was a fool and an idiot early on and didn't want anything to do with him, now dies at the hands of the high priest being thrown off the highest peak of the temple and stoned to death. On and on, they were boiled in oil, their heads were cut off, they were hanged, they were crucified over and over again. The only one that didn't die a martyr's death was John, who was set in exile in Patmos, on a mining island. We're not talking tropical here. Every one of them. And it was because of the reality of the resurrection that they would not falter. Amen. Amen. So you have the fatal torment. You have the empty tomb. You have the appearances where Jesus... Appeared to people very alive and very real and ate with them and spoke with them and taught them and loved on them and embraced them and then you have the transformations that turn the world upside down for Jesus. Amen. I want to look at one more appearance. And it's in John chapter 20 verse 11. If we turn back to John chapter 20. It says, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stopped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting at the head of, and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she, She had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbanai, which means teacher. <laughs> wow. Do you know today that Jesus knows your name? Do you know who Mary Magdalene was? She, she was one that they believe came from a city of, known for prostitution another place, they say that she had uh, seven demons and that Jesus had uh, delivered her from those demons and, and Jesus was the first man who embraced her that didn't want something from her in a selfish, sensual way. Jesus truly loved her and cared about her and she became somebody who was very close to the ministry of Jesus and she's one of the few when all of the men ran from the crucifixion scene Mary and Mary Magdalene and a couple of other ladies were the only ones that stayed. They saw the whole thing through and they also were a part of the burial and they were coming to complete the burial after the Sabbath. <clears throat> if somebody forgives you of $10, <laughs> says, "I oh, don't forget it, don't worry about it someone forgives you of a billion dollars, (laughs) who are you going to be more grateful to? You really can't measure sin. Some of us kind of think we've all got it together and then we come to Jesus because we do realize we need a Savior, but then there's others that they know their life is broken, it's beaten, it's bad, it's messed up, and God gets a hold of them. And God turns them around and there's this redemption lift this resurrection that happens in a messed up life because Jesus has become a part of it and that's who Mary Magdalene was and in her sorrow she doesn't recognize that it's even Jesus, she's seen the angels that are saying he's not here, he's risen but she doesn't realize that Jesus is who he is she thinks it's the gardener And through her tears and her emotion and everything else, she just says, and all she can think, I want you to hear this, right now she doesn't have any faith. She doesn't have any faith right now. Her whole thought process is still, he's dead and somebody's disposed of the body or taken the body or going to hold the body on ransom or whatever. There's not much faith here whatsoever. And She says, "Where, where did you take him? If you took him, can you tell me? Do you have any clue? Do you have any hint? And then he says, Mary, Mary. Do You know that eternal life is not just saying yes to you believe Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again. But the gospel of John chapter 17 tells us that eternal life is this, that we would know the Father and the son there is a, a knowing him there is an intimacy with him there is a there is a when he calls my name i hear his voice and immediately this woman who had absolutely no hope every hope that she had ever had she saw dashed crucified, tortured on a cross. She saw his dead, cold body, bloodied from everything he'd been through. And now she was just wanting to pay some final respects. And then all of a sudden, she hears her name. Father, I thank you for this day. Father, I pray that each of us would be able to hear you call our name. That we would recognize and understand that you have called our name. Father, if we've never responded to you calling to us, I pray, Father, that you would make it even more real to us. And Father, that we would recognize, that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that you love us so much that you sent your Son who willingly laid down his life for us to give us the victory of the resurrection. And a life that doesn't merely end here, but goes on for eternity with you. Father, I pray that wherever we are in our life, whether we think we're at the height of our successes or or on the way up, or we feel like we're in the midst of great failure, Father, I pray that we would hear you call our name. That we would recognize the intimacy that you desire with us and that wouldn't just be some system of salvation, but it would be personal, intimate, adventurous relationship. Father, we love you today. Lord, we need you in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you this morning on this beautiful Easter morning, if you'd like me to pray with you or pray for you this morning, I'd like you to raise your hand. I tell you what, everybody, if you just bow your heads for a moment. Would you raise your hand or look me in the eye and say, I got that one. I see you, buddy. (laughs) Say, please pray for me. I, I see that one too. I see that one. Anyone else? I see those. Amen. 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 Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. There's over a dozen. There's several. Praise God. Praise God. Father, I lift these up. I don't know their needs. I, I don't know exactly what's going on. Father, if there's any one of them that needs to know you as Lord and Savior this morning, I pray, Father, that that, that they would recognize today that you're on their side. You're, you're their greatest, greatest champion. And Father, I pray that you would minister to them. And Father, if they've never known you calling their name, if they've never known listening to your voice, Father, I pray that that would be very evident to them. And Father, I pray that that they would know that they are yours and you are theirs. God, that they would recognize the saving grace of who Jesus is. Father, if they need to confess anything, let them confess. If there's anything in their way between you and them, I, I pray it just be absent and Father, cleansed and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for that today and we rejoice. Father, if there's any other situations and I pray, Father, you'd minister. You give wisdom. Your word says that we have not because we ask not. And then it says that if we lack wisdom to ask, and and there's no dumb questions. It literally says that there's there's no finding fault in the questions we would ask. So so Lord, we'd ask them. Give us direction. Give us wisdom. Help us with our child. Help us. Help us with the job. Help us with this relationship. Help us with this. Help us with that. Minister to us. Father, I thank you. Lord, I praise you. We love you. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a video I'd like to show you. Uh we take an Easter offering on Sundays, uh, or on every Easter. And the Easter offering is about missions. There's a place that I've been to several times teaching leadership, and then uh, uh, Josh has been with me and, and Ernesto. And I, I'd like you to show a video of this place and just for a few minutes, and then we'd like to receive an offering for the ministry that's going on there. Uh, And uh, if you'll join Becky and I in giving to that, uh, thank you.
1: A famous Nigerian writer, Chinua Achebe, wrote a book called Things Fall Apart. Today our world appears to be falling apart. Countries are struggling through natural disasters, sickness, war, hatred, and oppression. South Sudan is the newest African nation to gain independence and has been in civil war ever since. About 17% of its population lives as refugees in neighboring countries like Ethiopia. Gambella is in the western part of Ethiopia and about half of the population of Gambella is made of refugees from South Sudan in places like these where is hope recently i was able to visit cambella and i was surprised at what i found i found dignity i found hope i found joy it reminded me of the time when israel was in a similar situation in psalms 137 by the rivers of babylon we sat and we wept when we remembered zion they said sing us one of the songs of zion how can we sing the songs of the lord while in a foreign land visiting the refugee camp in gambella we met the people who have lost everything yet there was hope in their worship they danced with all their hearts before the lord their hope shined in such contrast to their circumstances. And I was asking to myself, how could they sing? They are in a foreign land, their country is in trouble, yet they depict the New Testament faith. When Jesus met the Samaritan woman and he told her, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Although the situation was challenging, today Cambella is the largest district in Ethiopia. And that day while we were there, we witnessed the ordination of 22 people and what a time of celebration it was. They knew that their God is at work in their future. And they knew that they are a missional refugees who will one day return and plant churches in South Sudan. Our brothers and sisters showed us that it doesn't matter where we are when we worship. It is because of who we worship that wherever we are, when we worship, we are home. Missions is about bringing God's presence wherever we find ourselves. To me, that's the heart of missions.
0: that uh, that tree with the white paint around it that they were dancing around this last time I went they um, they came in dancing coming towards me and they had this basin and a jug of water and they had me sit down and they started removing my shoes and I was like no 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 you don't want to do that <laughs> uh, but as much as I resisted they kept at it and um, and they rolled up my legs of my slacks and they bathed my feet. These people have nothing. I mean, they have very little. And um, and they live in these mud shanties and things. And then they live with... They've been chased out of Sudan. Many of them are part of the Lost Boys and stuff that have gone on in the past and stuff. But, but chased out of Sudan. And... Um, I've preached in that uh, that chapel there. they were jumping up and down. They worship different than you do. Uh, but I'd ask you to be generous this morning towards our Easter offering because it'll go to minister and to help them. Amen. Father God, I thank you and I praise you as we give our tithes and our offerings today to you as an act of worship. We also, Father, go above and beyond and give to the Give to the Easter offering for missions, Lord. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do a mighty and powerful and beautiful thing here and there. In Jesus' holy name, amen.